Hello, I'm Allison Warner, co-chief editor of Plastic Surgery Practice. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast episode on the MedCore Podcast Network. Joining me today is Lindsay Fitzharris, author of the new book, The Facemaker, a visionary surgeon's battle to mend the disfigured soldiers of World War I. The book chronicles the work of surgeon Harold Gillies as he and his team develop procedures to treat the devastating fa facial injuries sustained on the World War I battlefield. Gillies and his team pioneered procedures that laid the foundations for plastic surgery as we know it today. The Face Maker is Lindsay Fitzgerald's second book. Her first, The Butchering Art, Art, Joseph Lister's quest to transform the grisly world of Victorian medicine, won the Penn E.O. Wilson Award for Literary Science Writing and has been translated into multiple languages. Her TV series, The Curious Life and Death, aired on and Death Of aired on the Smithsonian Channel. She contributes regularly to the Wall Street Journal and Scientific American and holds a doctorate in the history of science and medicine from the University of Oxford. Lindsay, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to have a thank chance to talk to you about me. the book. Yeah. yeah, thank you for having me on because uh, that, that, that quite a mouthful of titles there. <laughs> <laughs> life and death of and the butcher uh -huh. and all of those long subtitles that all these books must have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess my first question is what brought you to uh, medical history and these topics? Well, so I am a medical historian by training. I have a PhD from Oxford in, in the history of science and medicine. But these days, I call myself a storyteller first and foremost. I, I'm a freelance writer. Um, I obviously, all my books are rigorously researched, but I really am about you know, connecting readers who don't have a background in history or background in medicine to these incredible stories from the past. As a kid, I was a weird kid. It's, it wasn't, you know, it's, it's not going to be a surprise anybody who follows me on social media to know that. My grandmother and I used to go from cemetery to cemetery hunting ghosts. You know? <laughs> and I think that people thought I was, I had this sort of macabre curiosity, which is definitely true. But actually, I was just really interested in the people who lived and died in the past. And mm -hmm. I always say that regardless of how you feel about history, like let's say you hated history in school, you might like medical history because everybody knows what it's like to be sick. And mm -hmm. so that's where I fill in that gap. You know, what would have happened if you had a toothache in 1746? Or what would happen yeah. if you, you know, had to have a leg removed in 1832? So that's, that's what I do as a medical historian. Okay. Well, as I said, this book looks at the career of British surgeon Dr. Harold Gillies during World War One, and his work advancing the specialty of plastic surgery. Well, his work advancing the field of plastic surgery as a specialty. Did your interest in the topic start with Gillies or in the history of plastic surgery? Oh, that's an interesting question. And actually, I should say for any uh, Kiwis out there that he was born in New Zealand, but he did most mm, of the right. bulk of his 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 uh, his work in Britain, and yeah. his family was originally from Britain. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, that that is a good question. I think it, it did start with Gillies and it started with his patients. And again, that storyteller in me, I didn't know much about World War One or or the history of plastic surgery going into this, which is why it took five years to research and write. But mm -hmm. um, I, I knew what I wanted to do was drop the reader right into the middle of the battle. I wanted people to know what it was like to fight on those fields, in those trenches? What did it smell like? What did it feel like? What did it look like at that time? And I came across a diary of a soldier named Percy Clare, and he writes beautifully about his experiences, about getting hit on the face and laying on the battlefield, trying to get these stretcher bearers to pick him up, as well as through the process of trying to get into Gilly's hospital because he gets sent to the wrong place. So we, we meet Percy Clare in the prologue and we see him throughout this book. So for me, it really started with the personal stories. And I I think that's where I always go to, you know, with the butchering art, it was about Joseph Lister and this, you know, incredible uh, man who, ch who changed the paradigm for us and introduced germ theory to medical practice. So it's always about those personal stories for me. 
Okay. Well, what was in your research? What was Gilly's awareness of the field of plastic surgery at that time? Because he 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 studied or he trained as an ortho or, otolaryngologist. I always pronounce that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he joined the British war effort as part of the Royal Army Medical Corps, and he was first assigned to a hospital near the battlefront. But then he started thinking we need to have more specialized care. So yeah. what was his awareness of plastic surgery at that point? So uh, yeah, as you say, he was an ENT doc, um, mm-hmm. which actually gave put him well-placed for what he ultimately was able to achieve. Plastic mm-hmm. surgery certainly predates the First World War, but attempts at altering the face really focus on small areas such as the ears or the nose, rhinoplasty being one of the oldest procedures on record. Mm-hmm. In fact, the yeah. term plastic surgery was coined in 1798, but at the time, plastic meant something that you could shape or mold. So in this mm. instance, a patient's skin or soft tissue. So Gillies, uh, he, as you say, he, he, he certainly wasn't going into the war as a plastic surgeon, and that didn't really exist as an expertise as such at that time. Mm. He was introduced to this great need for facial reconstruction by this character. And I call him a character because he was really sort of bigger than life. He was a French yeah. dentist named Charles Auguste uh, Valadier, and he retrofitted his Rolls Royce with a dental chair, and he literally drove it to the front <laughs> under a hail of bullets, yeah. which is incredible. I mean, the guy is a legend. He is a badass of medicine. And, yeah. and he w- and he worked for free the entire war. And, it, and Gillies actually comes across him and has to oversee his work because at the time, Vladier was just a dentist. And so he needed medical oversight. And mm. that's where Gillies starts to learn about this desperate need. And he goes back to Britain and he petitions to open a specialty unit. And eventually the, the need is so great that he yeah. opens an entire hospital. And, at, and before the end of the war, 280,000 men from France, Britain, and Germany alone needed some form of facial reconstruction. So it this really was the time where plastic surgery enters this modern era. Yeah. Well, what was the fate of those soldiers who didn't end up on his specialty ward that he first set up at Cambridge and then later he set up Queen's Hospital at Sidcup? Yeah. I mean, that, well, so there were other surgeons doing facial reconstruction this time. Right. I talk about some of these people in the book. There's a mm-hmm. French uh, surgeon. There's um, a, a German Jewish surgeon working on the other side as well, doing some incredible work. They tend to be working solo, though. So uh, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily work, for instance, with dental surgeons. This becomes really crucial to what Gillies is able to accomplish. He takes a very collaborative approach. He brings right. artists in. He brings x-ray technicians, dentists, all kinds of people working together to rebuild the face. Um, so so some of these soldiers did end up with other surgeons and they mm-hmm. would have had, you know, pretty decent care. But I think yeah. Gillies was the one who was really performing the miracles because he was mm-hmm. taking that collaborative approach. Some of these men end up in the hands of general surgeons and then they end up in Gillies' care later. Right. And Gillies has to unpick all of this work. And that was mm-hmm. really painful and probably very frustrating and demoralizing for these soldiers mm-hmm. as well. So it could be a very... Uh, you know, circular route to get into Gilly's care at that time. Yeah. Well, um, you talk about how the, you know, just the modernization, modernization of warfare uh, changed the need for these, you know, for procedures to be developed. So you had developments in artillery, poison gas, naval and aerial mm. warfare. And you write about there was a soldier wounded at the Battle of the Somme in 1960 that provided Gillies with his first opportunity opportunity to perform a rhinoplasty as most of his previous patients had suffered damage to their lower, lower jaw and face. So that's right. You know, what can you talk about? Um, Cause he focused on what was it? Uh, William Spreckley and how he was focused yes. on rebuilding the bridge of the nose or the cartilage that had been destroyed. Can you talk about why that case was so significant to Gillies? 
So, Spre- yeah, Spreckley was a really interesting case, and his photos are in the face maker uh, mm-hmm. for anybody interested in seeing these patient photos. And I actually worked with a yeah. disability activist uh, about the language and the inclusion of the photos mm-hmm. because they are sensitive material, and we want to always remember that these were real people going yeah. forward. Spreckley ends up sort of being one of Gilly's famous of rhinoplasties, as you say, he tries a new technique and all of the surgeons at the hospital think this isn't going to work. Um, and when Spreckley comes out of the surgery, his nose is enormous. And they, mm-hmm. all the surgeons were roaring with laughter and they said that it looked like an anteater snout. That's their words, not me. <laughs> um, and, and Gillies thought, oh my gosh, this has completely failed. But what happened was when the swelling subsided and everything sort of, you know, normalized into the space it was supposed to be, it looked really quite good. And Gillies even said in his case notes that Spreckley and his nose went back into the army during World War II. And so he went and Mm. served again in the Second World War. Um, But remember, you know, these rhinoplasties, this wasn't about reshaping. It was about literally rebuilding an entire nose in some cases. Spreckley had basically no nose at all. It was just Mm -hmm. a hole in his face. So to go from that in a pre-antibiotic era and to build using various types of flaps to rebuild a nose to that extent and for it to look that good, I think is, is quite incredible for the time. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, one of the interesting things about Gilly's work during this time is, you know, he was perfecting these procedures or advancing them, but he was also setting up a teaching hospital. Yes. Um, and he seemed very focused on, he had extensive documentation of his procedures. Like you said, he brought, he had a full team. He brought in artists to document because at the time they just had basically black and white photography, but right. you couldn't see the color changes. And so he had artists, um, as you mentioned, uh, yeah. uh, Henry and Thomas. they And they were literally yeah. in the operating theater with him. They were right. like, diagramming. And I, it was it was very forward thinking. I think Gillies mm-hmm. recognized that his work was pioneering at the time he was doing it, which is mm-hmm. amazing as well, because all the stresses that he was undergoing at that time to recognize that and to recognize the importance of documenting that. Mm-hmm. So he did. He brought in artists like Henry Tonks, as you said, who's, who's quite mm-hmm. a character himself. Himself. He yeah. was he was a very well known artist at the time, um, and he was really feared by his students because he could be quite critical. But he sat mm-hmm. there painting portraits of these men that are really beautifully rendered, and they capture the humanity of these patients in a way that I don't think that the photos can capture. And mm-hmm. they're in color. They, I didn't include them in the book because they I, I really felt they would have to be reproduced in color for mm-hmm. the full extent for them to be appreciated. Yeah. And that would drive up the cost of the book. And you know, ultimately, I want people to right. be able to read the book. But if you Google <laughs> Henry Tonks in World War I, you mm-hmm. will see these wonderful portraits. And so, um, yeah, Gillies, he, he recognized that it was important to document this. It was, you know, when you're reading his case, notes. I'm sure a lot of plastic surgeons are going to be listening to this. It would all make sense to you, but I have no degree or background in medicine. But my husband is a caricaturist. And Mm -hmm. interestingly, he knows faces very well. And so he would read these, these case notes and he would draw what Gillies was doing to try to help me visualize, okay, so where is the flap going to rebuild this part? And so that was really helpful, but it could be very confusing just if you picked up his case notes. So the artists and the photographers were very important to documenting that work. Yeah. Um, you know, today Gillies is recognized as the father of modern plastic surgery, but at the end of the work, despite all his work and his efforts to train surgeons and creating teaching materials, including the first textbook on the subject, Plastic Surgery of the Face, he wasn't confident that the specialty would thrive and still had to prove that one could have a successful career as a plastic surgeon, right? 
Yeah, he was really kind of setting out on his own. I, I deal with his sort of after career in the epilogue because the because mm-hmm. because I write narrative nonfiction, it's focused heavily on a story and an arc, and so that arc is really World War One for my book. But I do deal with the post-war career, and and Gillies continues to push the boundaries of what is being done. In fact, in 1949, he he. Uh, completed the first successful phalloplasty on a trans man named Michael Dillon. This Mm -hmm. is an incredible story, too, because Michael Dillon was eventually outed by the British press. He he was driven from Britain. Mm -hmm. And Gillies stood by him. And I said in the book that there were a lot of people who would not necessarily have seen Michael Dillon as a man in 1949, but Harold Gillies wasn't one of them. And I think at the core of what he was always doing was it was about identity. And so after the war, he does branch out into cosmetic surgery, not just reconstructive surgery. And that brings new challenges that he finds exciting. You know, he said that reconstructive surgery was about returning something to normal, whereas mm-hmm. cosmetic surgery was about surpassing the normal. And he felt that people had a right to control how they looked, essentially. And if something was bothering them as, as small as it might be, they had a right to change that about themselves. And so, he, but but you're right, it wasn't an established specialty. And he had to sort of make the case that a doctor could even survive as a plastic surgeon, which is crazy to us today, because of course, <laughs> plastic surgery is at the top of its game, and it's a huge right. industry now. Um, but But there was definitely some, you know, dark days where he wasn't sure he was going to be able to sustain financially that life as mm-hmm. a plastic surgeon after the war. Yeah. In your research of Gillies and in writing the book, what what really stood out to you about him? Well, he was such a character, you know, in my first book, The Butchering Art about Joseph Lister. Lister is, mm-hmm. he's a Quaker. He's very um, unimpeachable, really. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's such a good, upstanding character. And some of that has to do with the way the Victorians, of course, write about their mm-hmm. heroes at the time. Mm-hmm. But Gillies, he was a bit of a prankster. He really connected and joked with the patients and he kept their spirits up. He had this alternative persona, which he called Dr. Scroggy, and he would dress up in the evening and he would sneak in alcohol and oysters, the things that were banned at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And he would gamble with the boys. And so he (laughs) he really, I, I think he really connected with so many of his patients. And of course, that also speaks to the nature of his work because he's working on some of these men for for several years sometimes right. even over a decade yeah. so they really have a very firm relationship some of these men ended up working for him mm-hmm. uh one of one of the men big bob seymour he he had his nose shot off during the psalm he ends up being gilly's private secretary for the rest of his life so mm-hmm. i love that about gilly's he had such a great attitude he had a bit of gallows humor which i think you also need working through world war one yeah um and seeing that kind of trauma don't you but um yeah. but yeah he was an incredible character as well yeah um for you know modern plastic surgeons today's plastic surgeons uh looking for something to read what would you say they can take away from this book well that's yeah no one's asked me that actually um i mean i always say that as a medical historian when i what i hope to convey to people is that what we know today isn't going to be what we know tomorrow. And we need to keep an open mind. I think if Gillies was alive today, he would be very excited by things like face transplants, which I hit upon in the epilogue. Yeah. It's fascinating. Tech- I mean, face transplants are both reconstructive surgery and also transplant surgery. And I think he would have been right there wanting to know more and pushing those boundaries of what you can do for patients. So mm-hmm. I, I think that it's it's always about keeping an open mind and, and knowing that medicine is always evolving and changing and yeah. to to keep pushing forward for the patients as Gillies had done in during the First World War. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you again for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about your book and get this insight into Dr. Harold Gillies. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Now, the face maker of Visionary Surgeon's Battle to Mend the Disfigured Soldiers of World War One is now available at bookstores. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, be sure to subscribe to the MedCorp Podcast Network to keep up with the latest plastic surgery practice podcasts. And to keep up with the latest industry news, visit plasticsurgerypractice.com. Thank you. 